There is no timeline. And I think people uh, sometimes hurt themselves when they have expectations about what their healing is supposed to look like. You know, I've heard clients in my office say, it's already been six months or it's already been a year. I should be okay by now. And my answer to them is no, it's only been six months. It's only been a year. And this was a significant loss in your life. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. This podcast is a spinoff of my blog, BrittanyAMoses.com, where I talk about the intersection of faith and mental health and how that applies to our everyday lives. You're listening to episode eight. For today's episode, I got to sit down and chat with my dear friend, Dr. Therese Moscardo. She hails from Southern California like myself and is a Filipino-American licensed clinical psychologist, self-care, and personal development guru. Berkeley educated, this woman is a mover and a shaker with a drive for building community and entrepreneurship. Through her lens of vivacity and delight, she shares about mental health, freedom from anxiety, and travel and discovery. Dr. Therese is passionate about inspiring people to explore and live braver, healthier, more connected lives. This week we talked about the realities of grief and loss, and we had a real conversation about how to cope through that loss, what you can expect while grieving, and how to begin to move forward through something that seems so unbearable and impossible. This is also great for those of you who may know of someone who has lost a loved one and you're just figuring out ways that you can really genuinely be there for them and support them in a way that's helpful. So whether you're on your way to work this morning listening in or you have a moment to sit down and really tune in, sit back, relax, and let's dive into today's conversation together. So I have my good friend, Dr. Therese, with me. Hi guys, how's it going? I'm so happy to be here. Yes, and it's so funny because we initially connected on Instagram and I just loved everything that you're doing at Exploring Therapy and you're just, well first of all, like it's clear on your feed, you're just a light. Like you really are in your personality and everything you're doing and then your feed is so colorful and you just really bring this light, I feel like, to the Instagram verse or the Instagram world and especially when it comes to mental health because, you know, as we've talked about, sometimes it can get very, uh, like, depressing very fast and uh, especially if you're in the mental health world or you're following a lot of the work, sometimes it can get a little... It can be a bit of a downer, mm-hmm. even though you're trying to raise awareness on the realities of it and finding that balance. And I feel like you bring the light to this topic and to this situation. And so I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. That makes me so happy because mm-hmm. that was actually what my heart was when I created yeah. Exploring Therapy. I felt like therapy kind of had a bad, a bad brand, so to speak. Yeah. And I wanted to, my heart, my intention was... I want to rebrand therapy. I want to make it a place that people want to go to and kind of get away from the idea of like musty old white dudes with beards and glasses and sweaters on like a leather sofa Mm -hmm. and this idea of feeling like very analyzed and whatnot. And um, I mean, I love therapy, obviously, right? As a psychologist, I'm a huge advocate for it, but I just... I want it to be a place that people were drawn to. and, Mm -hmm. And when we look at like health, you know, 
there's so much out there as far as like the health products that we can consume. Yeah. But I feel like the therapy brand has been way misbranded as like, you know, not necessarily the great thing that it is. So yeah, that's why I created it. And it's such a reflection of your personality as well, because anyone who knows you or has been around you, you you carry that out just authentically as you are. Being a person, she just lights up the room. She's a very colorful person, so it really does feel like an extension of you, and it feels authentic in that way. Thank you. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think for people who you know haven't seen the brand, it's like a lot of bright colors, mm-hmm. um, because I wanted people to feel like there was something good happening here, right. and. Um, the tagline for Exploring Therapy is build a life you don't need a vacation from. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to feel like an account that was like going on a vacation. Yes. And I was going to ask you, that leads into my next question. What what do you see being your mission or has been your mission around exploring therapy and the work that you're doing? And tell us a little bit about the work that you're currently doing because we have a pretty intense topic coming up and we're going to dive into that. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. So yeah, exploring therapy was created to help people live lives that are braver, healthier, and more connected. Mm -hmm. And so that is my mission. My mission is that people would never go a day not living their lives to their full potential and able to shine their light so that the world can be a better place. Mm -hmm. And I'll share this probably a little bit later on, but in my own journey, I've had loss. And so um, because of that, I'm really motivated to make sure that people always feel that their lives are worth living. Right. Um, So, yeah. And then in addition to just all of the content that I create around wellness, I'm a full-time digital nomad. And I don't know if people know what that that. is. (laughs) So being a digital nomad is basically when you work remotely and you travel. Um, Some people travel full-time. And so I'm also currently gearing up to leave for Portugal for six months. I have my residency visa. And um, I love Europe. So I'm really excited to spend some time out there with the digital nomad community out there. And then I'm also working on my two digital courses. So I have one on branding uh, for mental health professionals. And then the other course is about telehealth because Mm -hmm. I love getting to work remotely 100% of the time as a therapist. And I want other therapists to have that fun and that freedom. And I get asked so many times, how do you do it? So I finally just decided to, you know, take it seriously and create a course so I could teach other people how to do the same thing. I love that. And I love that now we're in a day and age where we're able to do that. You know, where you are able to pick up the phone or get on Skype and uh, communicate with your therapist, especially for people who have very, you know, busy lives or whatever and still trying to work it into their lives. Being able to connect with someone like you, wherever you are and wherever they are, is such a cool option that didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago. Can I just tell you I love it so much? Yeah. Like there are so many perks for both the therapist and the client. Like if you're in L.A., we talk about commuting and traffic all the time. So to not have to commute and to be able to just contact your therapist via your, you know, your phone or your computer, wherever you are is amazing. I love it. So for today, we're going to be talking about something that actually I threw the question out to you guys on social media and online to see where you are with the topic of grief and loss. And I got so many responses I I actually didn't realize how much this would blow up, but I also realized this is a topic that I haven't touched on a whole lot. Mm -hmm. It's very hard because there are a lot of dynamics to it. Uh, And so I'm so glad that we can sit here and have a conversation about grief and loss. And that's what I love about podcasts. 
is that week it gives us the time to sit down and really work through and peel back the layers on a topic that is so dynamic as to where you know in a blog post or in an Instagram caption you know it's hard to capture it all so now we can really peel back the layers so you know let's start with the basics of grief what's common to expect feel go through when someone has passed away maybe you can share a little bit about your story I know that you have a story Mm -hmm. when it comes to grief uh what can you what can you kind of tell us and share with us about that yeah grief is experienced by every single person differently which is why it can be so complicated there's not one prescribed way of experiencing grief and I think that can be sometimes even frustrating for people we tend to feel comfort we tend to feel more okay when we know what to expect we can kind of go okay here's what the road looks like I know what's coming up and grief is one of those tricky things where what happened to your best friend or what happened to your neighbor may not be what you experience at all so there are a ton of emotions that you can experience during grief so you know, just to name a few, you can feel shock, sadness, anger, frustration, confusion, numbness. You can feel disconnected. And sometimes people, actually often people can even feel relief. Um, if they've had a loved one that passed away that was suffering or was elderly, they can feel a level of relief too. And I know that they struggle sometimes with feeling that relief. As far as my own story with grief, I have experienced profound grief in my life. Um, For most of my life, I hadn't really lost anyone close to me. But then when I was 27, my younger brother, Gerald, who was 25, took his own life. And so that was 10 years ago. And at the time, it was the most difficult thing that I had ever experienced. In fact, I would still say that today. It was the most difficult thing I've ever experienced because nothing can prepare you for losing a sibling, especially losing them in that way. Suicide is something that no one ever talks about and it's super taboo. So growing up in a Filipino Catholic family and dealing with the emotions of my own grief and loss and then the complexities of navigating that culture and the people around me handling his loss by suicide was incredibly difficult. And again, I just don't think anything can equip you for how to handle it. So at the time when he passed, of course, everyone in our family was devastated. I was devastated. Um, But my parents were so just beside themselves with grief to where they couldn't function that I ended up having to take care of a lot of the arrangements. And anyone who's experienced death knows that these types of things feel like the most annoying, unnecessary, inopportune things at the time. Because who wants to think about what flowers you're going to pick or where you're going to have the ceremony or who's going to speak and all these things. And for me, I felt like I had to because everybody else was so not okay. So for me, my grief really got pushed down. And I turned into the doer and into the achiever. And I'm sure other people can relate to that. And I felt like, okay, I have to step up because other people can't. So I really tuned out a lot of my emotions at the time. And it wasn't until months later where I feel like some things started to come loose and unlock. And I had a moment where 
there were some other things going on in my life. I think I just had a breakup and I had also had stress at work to where I wanted to quit. I mean, it was really, really a bad season for me. And I just almost came undone, you know, where I was crying every day and really, really depressed, but it happened months later. And so, you know, I feel like that experience as harrowing as it was, and as much as I wouldn't wish it on anyone, really helped shape me into the person that I am today. And really taught me about all of the difficulties that can come up when we lose someone in a complicated way. And I'm I'm grateful for it now because it helps me when people are going through grief, especially through the uniqueness of grief that is connected to suicide and the taboo of suicide. And I I think that, you know, that kind of pain, there's just nothing like it. People won't understand until they're there what it's like to have to field questions from people about what happened. Why is your brother dead at 25, right? Like, how do you even begin to unpack that? And then unpacking your own feelings, right, of your own guilt, you know, what was our relationship like? How did things end? What was it like the last time I saw that person? Um, I was a mental health professional at the time. Imagine the guilt I felt like I should have known, I should have seen it. What are people gonna think of me? Are people gonna think I'm a terrible mental health professional because I've, you know, lost someone. There was so much shame um, and self-doubt. And so, yeah, my experience with grief has been very, very profound. But at the same time, 10 years later, I feel like it has equipped me to serve people better and to love people better. And so I'm grateful for that. Right. And that's kind of the silver lining. Mm -hmm. But... Still, and obviously, really hard. Yeah, I would say it's like the redeeming stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's the redeeming part of a really difficult situation, and there always is, right? Right. But yeah, from something terrible, if you allow it to, you can harness that for something good if you want to. And yeah, for me, it was that my empathy for grief, for loss, for people that are. trying to recover from the suicide of a loved one is, you know, a hundredfold than it. And I'm a better therapist because of it. I love that. I actually didn't know the story of your brother. And this Mm -hmm. is also my first time hearing more of the details on it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because uh, this wasn't planned, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the questions that I got were, how do you Mm -hmm. deal with someone who has passed away from suicide? Uh, And, uh, you know, and relating to that experience, I haven't, I haven't lost someone to suicide, but I did my aunt growing up who she was like a mother to me. She was like a second mother to me, grew up with her my whole life. She, she passed away from breast cancer Mm -hmm. and I had never seen death so closely before. You know, I, uh, I moved down to Texas where she lived Mm -hmm. and that was around the time that she received her diagnosis and we were very close. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, she's the one, the type of aunt, like I could get in bed with her and watch TV. I mean, she really was like a second mom Mm -hmm. and she had this beautiful thick hair and just this, these beautiful curves, this full figured woman. And all my life as a girl, I was like, she's like the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen, you know, and really looked up to her. And when I, uh, um, moved out there she was she was diagnosed and I and anybody who's been through seeing someone lost to cancer has seen is, has probably seen these stages where you literally see 
the life kind of being sucked out of them gradually Mm -hmm. where I was going with her to chemo, you know, playing Uno in the hospital or watching Enchanted on the TV as she was going through it and Mm -hmm. watching her lose all her weight and lose all her hair and, you know, being in the car one day and she rubs her eyebrows and her eyebrows literally came off and she's just like, wow, my eyebrows just came off. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, her just getting really small, really frail to the point where I was draining her lungs. I had never done anything like that before where I had a tube hooked up to her stomach and I'm filling up this jar, draining her lungs because of, I don't remember exactly what was going on with the diagnosis, but, you know, really just who she was, was kind of disappearing, you know, not just physically, but also mentally she was feeling down because she didn't feel of like use with her state and so all the way in time to the time that she took her last last breath and passing and dealing with that and so Mm -hmm. it's just you know having someone go from being this physical material person in your life Mm -hmm. to becoming immaterial and slipping away into a memory that you're trying to grasp but you can't you know, hold on to them. You want to share moments with them and all of that. It's just, it's really hard to process. And another question that people were asking was, what is the timeline on grief? When will things start to get better? How can we have any hope that we'll ever be the same through such an unbearable issue, through something that can feel like I mean, that's what it feels. It just feels unbearable. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's too much to handle and just feeling never that, like, you're never going to be the same or you're never going to mm-hmm. get past that stage. Uh, feeling almost disassociated mm-hmm. from everything around you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a thing people can feel too. First of all, I'm so sorry for your, your yeah, loss. How old were you when that happened? This was like, I want to say it was like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, nothing can equip you being in your, you know, early mid-20s for, like, that kind of loss and dealing with those things. And the thing about cancer, right, is that it happens sometimes very slowly and you see kind of the um, progression of the illness. Yeah. And so it's traumatic, I think. Like, that in and of itself, having a loved one that's sick is its own type of trauma. Yeah, and you Um, don't know how much hope to hold out for, mm -hmm. right? Because especially as a person of faith, Mm -hmm. it's like you're praying Mm -hmm. for God to heal this person and for them to get better and you want to have faith Mm -hmm. that God can do anything and heal them and whatnot, but sometimes that's not always the answer, that's not always the result. And so uh, how much to hold on to until you realize like they've passed but that's another I know we'll get into that topic a little Mm -hmm. bit more about the faith aspect Mm -hmm. but um I guess going back to the timeline when will things get better feeling normal again yeah all of that yeah well I think there is no timeline and I think people uh, sometimes hurt themselves when they have expectations about what their healing is supposed to look like you know, I've heard clients in my office say, it's already been six months or it's already been a year. I should be okay by now. And my answer to them is no, it's only been six months. It's only been a year. And this was a significant loss in your life. So, you know, when people ask the question, how will I ever be the same? You know, I think that's, it's hard for them to realize that, um, unfortunately you will not be the same, you know, 
And I don't say that to say that your life is going to be marred by this loss. I don't think it will be actually. Um, but that it's an experience that changes you just like any experience we go through changes you, right? And the hope is that, you know, well, I'd say one of the silver linings that comes from going through grief, if there, if I can say that, mm-hmm. is that, God, you have so much more empathy and love for people that are going through it. And, you know, the way I respond to when people have um, experienced a loss or experienced suicide in their, in their families is so much different now because of what I've been through. So I think I'm able to be a better therapist, a better friend, because of the difficulty I experienced. When it comes to what to expect in terms of a timeline with grief, I say don't expect anything. It could be different. People talk about the stages of grief a lot. Mm-hmm. So the stages of grief, the acronym is DABDA. Denial, Anger, Bargaining, Depression, Acceptance. And it was developed by Kubler-Ross, a psychologist, to help people understand and wrap their minds around what grief looks like. But it's really, really important to remember that grieving is not a linear process. And so I give people the metaphor of it's kind of like a pinball machine with that ball kind of just bouncing from place to place. So sometimes you might feel acceptance and then other times you feel depression and then other times you're in denial about it or bargaining. And you can work through one of those emotions and go to something else and then later on you'll be back feeling some of those other emotions. And I think it's helpful to have the names for those different parts of grief so that you can kind of understand, oh, okay, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm in a stage of bargaining right now. And the other thing that I think is important for people to anticipate when they're going through a grieving process is that you're going to have birthdays, anniversaries, and milestones that can be triggers for you. And so I definitely tell people to expect that, especially during that first year when you're experiencing all of those things, the first Christmas without your loved one, you know, their first birthday, your first birthday, um, graduations, that you are going to be reminded of them. And there are ways that you can kind of take advantage of that, knowing that it's coming by perhaps having something prepared. You might light a candle thinking of them that day. You might make a plan to go to the cemetery and visit them um, where they are. So there's different ways that you can kind of anticipate what it might look like and then prepare yourself for those different moments of grieving. I don't know if that makes sense, but No, it does, and I really uh-huh. love that because when you when you're anticipating it or you're saying, "Okay, I this is what might come from this," then you're kind of dissolving the uh, I think what we get caught up in is the shoulds. Like you said, the mm-hmm. expectations of, you know, um, I shouldn't still be crying or I shouldn't mm-hmm. still be feeling this way. Or, But by anticipating, okay, knowing I may feel this way on that day, you're actually taking it and making it constructive. It's an it's honoring the person that you yeah. lost. And it's something that's an honorable a, experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a ritual. It's a ritual of remembrance that can help you to cope with your feelings of grief and loss. Right. And man, I identify with that because yeah, things happen. Like, for example, recently I got I got accepted to UCLA. Mm-hmm. That was really exciting. Thank you. Amazing. But I'm not gonna lie, there was a split moment in that. Mm-hmm where um, I want to say after the hype came down and I was super excited where I was like, oh, I wish I could have shared this mm-hmm. with my aunt. Like I wish I, she, this person could have seen like right. where I am today compared to, you know, when she left mm-hmm. and to see 
all these events in my life that are taking place and to share them with them. Like you want to go back and mm-hmm. share them, you know, and you can't obviously because mm-hmm. they're not they're not there. But for me, I guess I kind of flipped it into honor that legacy. These are the things that I learned from their life. These are the things that they taught me and have instilled in me. And so kind of by way of me instilling it and applying it and moving forward, she's a part of her is living on mm-hmm. in me. And a part of her does live in you. Right. right. I think that is such a common experience that people don't expect, which is, you know, when you're initially grieving in those first couple of months especially, you know, you expect that you might cry or you might feel depressed or want to isolate yourself. All those things are expected. But when you have a happy moment, sometimes you don't see that coming and it can feel like it comes out of nowhere, that overwhelming feeling of sadness of like, oh shoot, I can't tell them. And sometimes with my clients, I'll actually invite them to like write a note or a letter to their loved one to help express some of those things that they want to share with them. And that can be really helpful for them to just connect with those emotions and acknowledge them. I really love that. I'm all about writing Mm -hmm, and letters and the healing in that. So I'm glad you said that. So another question I had was, you know, after prolonged grief following loss like say Mm -hmm. someone I think this person specifically had experienced like multiple losses Mm -hmm. or just like loss after loss after loss Mm -hmm. and kind of complex trauma Mm -hmm. how do you stop expecting the worst like how do you transition from fear and anxiety to hope you know it kind of creates Mm -hmm. this what foreboding joy which Mm -hmm. I always talk about where it's like there's been so much loss, there's been so much devastation that it's like you almost don't want to get too happy in life. You don't, it stops you from living wholeheartedly because you're just kind of expecting the next bad thing to happen and Mm -hmm. just processing past that and getting to a a place of of hope in some way again. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think when someone has experienced a complex loss or complex trauma, you know, I think actually trauma is a really good word for it because it is traumatic when you have layers of um, grief. So when I think of complex loss, I think of someone that's maybe lost maybe multiple people or they've had a job loss and then, you know, lost an, a pet or something like that where it's one thing on top of the other. And it makes it more complicated because it compounds the grief. Right. So there's like this exponential effect. And so, I mean, you're asking such a hard question because, you know, how do any of us get through it? I think that one of the things that is helpful for people is not being in kind of the state of isolation where they're not able to kind of expose themselves to other people. So I think community is a big part of that healing. When one person is down, the other person lifts them up. Right. And Um, I think we could pull up the verse that says that much better than I do. Um, But yeah, that we can lean on other people to take us through that. I also think gratitude is this magical almost key to any form of healing. When we're able to focus on gratitude, it makes it very difficult for our brain to stay um, clinging to the anxiety and the fear that comes with recovering from trauma. So I think that's really important. I think physical movement is helpful, right? So sometimes when you're stuck emotionally, moving your body physically can really help you move yourself to a different place emotionally. So, you know, it doesn't have to be working out or lifting weights. It could be dance. It could be taking a walk um, on the, it could be taking a walk on the beach. 
it could be a whole bunch of things, but I think those are some things that can kind of spark that movement forward. At the end of the day though, and this is not to minimize someone's pain or experiences, I do believe it is a choice, right? I do think sometimes hoping can feel like the most dangerous thing in the world. I think believing that it can be better can feel like the scariest thing in the world. But I do think it's a choice because, you know, if you are choosing to go on with your life, do you want your days to be marked by your fear and marked by your anticipation that bad things are coming? Or do you want to go into it, you know, with the wisdom of what you've learned and the difficulties you've been through, but also with the optimism that it can be better? Because it can. And one of the things that I think impacts people who've been through a lot is to hear stories of people who've been through worse, right? Because you're always like, okay, hold on, I'm, I'm still alive. I still have a roof over my head. I'm still able to feed myself. I still have clothes. So if that person can get through that level of difficulty, then there's got to be some hope that I can too. There's such, I love that. There's so much healing in stories because mm -hmm. it makes us feel less alone. And like you said, when you see that somebody else has been able to move through their life in spite of such immense grief, such immense pain or trauma, it mm -hmm. does give you the hope that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And I also love what you're saying about it being a choice because like faith is many times it's um, like unnatural. Like it's counterintuitive. It's totally unnatural. It's totally unnatural because mm -hmm. all of your experiences mm -hmm. are telling you to fear like all of your experiences are showing you otherwise and so like you said it's like you're gonna have to make the decision to say today I'm gonna choose faith I'm gonna choose hope and it's not even this and even as talking about gratitude it's not this shallow positive thinking of everything's fine and you know what I no, mean of, not at all everything's good and being mm -hmm. in denial but like this reality of yes this hurts, you know, yes, I've been going through this and this is painful. It's not this ignorance of your pain, but saying, you know, I'm adaptable to be able to move through this in spite of. In spite of, exactly. It's, I can have, I can be in pain mm -hmm. and I can also hang on to gratitude. It doesn't have right. to be that you're denying your pain. Right. It's just that you're choosing to also do something that is going to bring health into your life. That's really what it boils down to is that right. being grateful will make you happier, yeah. will help you heal. And so it's choosing to do it in the midst of the pain. Right. And I think that, and I'm so glad you said that because like what you're talking about is this wholeheartedness of both. Mm -hmm. And that's something that one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, mm -hmm. which I'm Love sure Brene. you <laughs> talks about, uh -huh. which is, you know, it's life is both and I think that we just get caught up into these extremes of feeling like we're either happy or we're sad mm -hmm. or maybe even there's this guilt mm -hmm. of feeling joy because this person is gone right. you see what I'm saying yes. and so just understanding that life is life is both mm -hmm. like you can live with both the joy of what's promised tomorrow you can mm -hmm. live both with the joy of the gratitude and choosing faith Mm -hmm. even in a hard situation and also be dealing with that pain at the same time. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. I don't know why, but I feel like we're so prone to black and white thinking. And it's one of the, you know, biggest cognitive distortions. And I do it all the time. But I think that we do, we do serve ourselves better when we recognize that there's a gray in the middle. 
And, you know, I will say this too, Brittany, I think that our culture does a really bad job of equipping people to be able to process their grief. There are so many cultures where they have public mourning, where there's a hundred days of mourning, where they, where mourning and grief is part of their culture. And so children grow up exposed to this and understanding a bit more of how to handle grief. Whereas I feel like, unfortunately, in our culture, death, especially suicide, is a huge taboo. And so no one talks about it. There's lots, speaking of Brene, there's lots of shame involved, right? Like there's a lot of judgment. So I really do think that's kind of a bummer that we don't do a better job of equipping our younger generations for how to deal with grief appropriately and to yeah. normalize all the different aspects of the grieving process. I remember after my brother passed, he was the first person I lost that I was so close to. I remember feeling guilty. I felt kind of weird when I was laughing about something like a few weeks later because in my mind, I should be weeping all the time and I should be forlorn all the time and set. And the truth is, it's just not like that. And we need to give ourselves permission to have levity in the midst of all the sadness and the depression, right? So yeah, we can feel all the feelings at the same time. It's totally possible. Yeah. You already touched on a little bit about advice kind of for coping in general with mm-hmm. the emptiness, loneliness, physical symptoms of loss, the mm-hmm. exercising and moving your body and all of that. Right. And uh, the timelines, and it's it's interesting. I, I have seen two people have the same type of loss mm-hmm. and just grieve and move through life completely totally different. different. Yeah. Totally different. Mm-hmm. And I guess my, my question is... What, in advice for coping, you know, what are some proactive steps that people can take to uh, initiate their Mm -hmm. healing, so to speak? You know, I know you mentioned exercise Mm -hmm. and you mentioned, you know, kind of the gratitude aspect and Mm -hmm. pulling yourself out of that tunnel vision of Mm -hmm. the fear. Is there anything else that you would recommend people who are grieving look into or start doing to activate that process? Yeah, definitely. The good part is that there are so many different ways to heal from loss, and so it's really hopeful. And the biggest piece of advice I would give to someone, I don't really give advice, but I will say this, is treat yourself the way you would a friend. We are usually so much more compassionate with other people and give them permission to do all the things they need to do when they're going through something hard. And then when it comes to us, I've seen people do this a million times, we're like, why am I not over it by now and I should be moving on and it's just not kind at the end of the day it's not kind so treat yourself the way you would a friend first and foremost I would say surround yourself with good people join a support group that's an incredible way to work through something obviously go to therapy and I would also invite people to there's a stage that I talk about with people where I'm like You're at the, it's totally okay to sit on your sofa and eat half a gallon of ice cream stage. It's basically like, give yourself permission to grieve. And it's okay if you need to feel, if you feel the need to eat food that brings you comfort. It's okay if you feel like you need to take a couple of days off work. Give yourself permission to do those things. People feel guilty about doing stuff like that because we're in such a, activity-based, achievement-oriented culture. But I find that we oftentimes will push through our grief in an unhealthy way when we just try to be okay with it instead of actually sitting with it for a little bit. So as a good rule of thumb, 
you know, you can do whatever you need to feel better as long as it doesn't harm you in the long run, right? So obviously I wouldn't advise people to go and drink a ton of alcohol. I wouldn't advise them to do life-threatening things just because it helps them feel like their blood is pumping. But, you know, eating a cookie a couple times, I think that's fine. I think we feel so much guilt about what we eat. And, you know, if you, it brings your body comfort, I say absolutely do it. Um, sleeping in, taking time for yourself, resting, self-care, you know, practical self-care. I still feel like there's this narrative and culture about self-care being selfish, and I hate that. Um, no, get a massage, take care of your body, stretch, be outside, get vitamin D. Actually, that's a really big one is just spending at least 15 minutes outside, exposing your skin to the sun so you can get vitamin D. That is a game changer. Most people in our culture are vitamin D deficient. Did you know that? I have been like preaching the vitamin mm. D thing. Yes. on Instagram. I'm actually mm-hmm. taking vitamin D supplements because mm-hmm. I found out I'm not deficient, but mm-hmm. I'm low. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I'm I'm with it. Everything that you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So you can posture yourself for optimum healing, even if you're still going through a process. So even if you don't feel 100%, if you're taking care of your body by, you know, having all your vitamins and supplements by moving a little bit by being around friends and laughing every once in a while these things i think can help us to heal in the best way possible yeah and it sounds like can also just kind of help you begin acclimating back into life Mm -hmm. and of course you're never 100 percent the same because like any trauma it it still shapes you in a way Mm -hmm. but you can begin to basically live again mm-hmm. is what you're saying, even if it's step by step. Yeah, I think there's a point where a lot of my clients will talk about how they feel guilty for enjoying their lives after they've lost someone. And I will usually remind them that that loved one would want them to probably enjoy their lives even after them uh, they're gone. So yeah, I think you can definitely take little baby steps to make you feel like life is normal again. Mm -hmm. And the important thing there is just giving yourself the permission to. I love that. Uh, And then how do you support someone who's grieving while you're grieving? And then second, how do you just support a loved one Mm -hmm. who's grieving? It's tough, man. I mean, I remember having moments where I be in my bed at the end of the day crying by myself because I'd have I'd have to hold it together the whole day for people. And when I say I had to hold it together, no one was telling me to do that. I just felt like I had to. Looking back, of course, I would have given myself more permission to feel feelings, but at the time I felt like I had to kind of not express my emotions to protect the people around me. So when you're dealing with grief and the people around you are grieving too, the thing that comes to my mind that is the most helpful is healthy boundaries. If you know anything about me, I'm a huge fan of the Boundaries curriculum by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. I love love them. Love them. Yes. They're kind of legends. And (laughs) so, you know, I'm grateful that I have learned quite a bit from Dr. Henry Cloud and getting to work with him. And boundaries are so, so important. So I think it in this case, one of the ways you can make sure you maintain healthy boundaries is to, one, recognize your limits. Know that you cannot lift people up 24-7. You need to have time for you. Two, be honest with yourself about your emotions. I think a lot of times we think that 
we can't show those emotions or that other people can't handle our emotions. And the truth is they can. Like, it's totally okay for us to be human and feel feelings. And we, oh, this is another piece of advice. Um, be around people that you can feel your feelings with that are safe people. So in the Boundaries book, they talk about safe people a lot of the time. Perhaps, you know, that will mean that you spend time intentionally with people who aren't going through grief and loss, who can just be there for you and who you can just kind of receive love and support from instead of you having to give them anything. I also think just having an outlet for your emotions that you can utilize is really helpful. So like a go-to outlet could be journaling about it. Like when you get home at night, just writing down in your journal. It could be, you could you could be part of a support group online and just be like chatting with the people who are going through something similar. That's really helpful. There's a lot of things that you can do where you can still serve the people around you in the way that you need to, but also honor yourself. Right, right. And then answering your first question, which was... Uh, support someone who is grieving. Oh, thank yeah. you for asking this question because I do think... I hate to say this, but also culturally, we're kind of terrible with handling other people's grief. And I don't blame people per se. It's because of that lack of equipping that I mentioned earlier. People don't know what to say. They feel awkward. They feel confused. They feel badly. And so sometimes because of that, people say really bad things. And I'm just going to say this. Sometimes people in the Christian community are some of the worst perpetrators of saying damaging things to people who are in grief and loss, right? Because they minimize grief and loss. They say things like, they're with Jesus now, everything's fine. They're in a better place now. And these things, while well-intentioned, can really minimize a person's grief process. So I would say the best thing you can do for a person who's grieving is be present with them, listen, and be attuned to what they need versus what you think they need. When I was going through something difficult, where I was grieving something, I remember sitting down to lunch with a friend, and she said, so do you want to talk, or would you like me to talk so that you can listen? And I was so grateful, because I was like, I don't want to talk at this time. I want to listen. And she was kind enough to know that I just wanted to tune out of my own kind of difficulties for a moment and listen to her. And then after she shared, I was able to go into what was going on for me. But just her acknowledging that and giving me that space, I was so, so grateful for that. I also think learning how to be a good listener is really important. And so, you know, a lot of times we go into problem solver mode. You know, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Here's how you're gonna fix it, right? We go into fixer mode. And what we really need to be doing is going into listener mode and just being empathic and reflecting what you're hearing and saying, you say a lot of things to help someone that are just like, gosh, that sounds really tough. Or how can I support you right now? What do you need? I also think giving people choices and options is very empowering for them. So instead of assuming they need something, like telling them directively, you need to get outside or you need to do this or here's how you need to move on, give them options like, would it be helpful if we went outside and took a walk or would you rather stay here and sit down or could we watch TV? Would any of those things be helpful to you? Just giving them those choices so that they feel like they're still in charge of their healing process without you being too pushy. I love that because like all of what you're saying is basically meet meet people where they are mm-hmm. instead of, you know, assuming mm-hmm. where they are. And I think that 
I think that the comfort of assuming, like you were mentioning, and telling people what they are and telling people what they need is really because the other person is uncomfortable with that person's pain. 100%. Yeah, like they're on, like they're uncomfortable with that person's pain so they quickly try to solve it instead of we like just culturally I think we're ill-equipped and not good with just sitting with Mm -hmm. someone else in their pain and I do think it goes back to being in touch with yourself Mm -hmm. being in touch with your own emotions being able to sit with your own pain Mm -hmm. and process it within you and like you were even saying earlier the silver lining in grief is that when you've gone through tough stuff when you've gone through the trauma when you've gone through the grief it kind of enables you with that compassion Mm -hmm. to be able to sit with a person Mm -hmm. because you once sat there but even if you haven't been there just learning how to sit with people. Mm-hmm. And, and I know this speaks to so many things, even not just grief, but just learning how to sit with people where they are and it be normalized, you know, and it be okay and that not everything just has to be relieved and fixed right away. And like you mentioned in the church, that can be an issue because we feel like, we need to be the answer. There's this savior syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, just sit. Learn to sit with the person and meet their needs. And I love Girl, that preach. saying that. Mm-hmm. I think what you just said was so spot on. Because being able to be present with people, I think, is one of the kindest things you can do for another person. Just sit with them. And... When you talk about meeting people where they're at, this is actually one of my favorite things about Jesus was that he was such a great example for meeting people where they were at. And unfortunately, I think what we do see in culture, especially in Christian culture, is there is an anxiety underneath their drive to provide answers and solutions for people. Underneath that is anxiety and underneath anxiety is always fear. And so when you are able to have the self-awareness to own those things, then you're not driven by this awkwardness that you feel, this anxiety that you feel to try to make the the situation better or to have answers. And I do think a lot of people could probably stand to get a little bit more connected with their own feelings and what's coming up for them so that they don't hurt someone by trying to minimize their pain, diminish it, um, you know, make it seem like it's not okay to have it, things like that. Yeah, I love the faith aspect of this and mm-hmm. how it is It is so the heart of God mm-hmm. to meet people where they are. And Jesus met every individual with where they are and he responded to each person in his path based on where, where that individual person was in their faith mm-hmm. or in their life. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I yeah. think is, I think, helpful to Christians who are trying to heal through something or who are maybe struggling with, how can I be a better friend to someone? Gosh, I am that person. I tend to minimize their feelings. I've done that. What do I do? And I love to remind people that God made us who we are. He gave us emotions. It wasn't an accident, right? They are a gift, and our emotions can, our emotions can guide us, can be one of our greatest sources of wisdom if we know how to you know, channel them in the appropriate way. And so... It helps when we realize that emotions aren't a bad thing. They're not the enemy, you know. Um, I didn't mean that literally, but I guess you could say that. Like, you know, emotions aren't the bad guy here. 
And so let's be okay with letting people let their emotions exist and breathe, right? I love that. And because li- I've literally seen in a lot of Christian posts in mm-hmm. world. And again, this is, by the way, I should say disclaimer. We're not like bashing <laughs> here because we are, we love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we love, I, I truly believe that there is so much uh, healing that can take place in the church being very much of a front door because that's where people go when they are grieving. They'll go to their priest, they'll go to the mm-hmm. pastor, they'll go to the church. So it's more of like how knowing that this is uh, a, a world that people, a front door that people go to first, how we can be constructive about it. So just setting the tone, like that's yeah, where no, we are. That's where our heart is. Absolutely. No, I love this. the church and I worked in ministry full time for three years. Right. And so I totally believe and I'm aligned with Jesus's love for the church and believing that it was going to be his way to save humanity. Mm -hmm. I think I just really have high expectations of the church. And when I see the church and and followers of Christ, I think acting in a way that isn't fully realizing who he is, I get disappointed and I want to, you know, I want them to, to do better. So that is, no, it's coming from love and really believing like, hey, we are going to be that we as a church are we we should be a source of health and healing for people and not of judgment. I mean, this sounds kind of, I think, cliche. I think people know yeah. that, but um, it comes up a lot in mental health, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and exactly. And, and so what I was saying was that, like, I have seen posts where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, listen to God, not your emotions, or like uh, Satan's in your emotions, ooh. and tune into God's word, not your feelings, as if mm-hmm. they're opposites. It oh, is. Gosh. Like, I do see it pitted a lot mm-hmm. as opposites, and mm-hmm. that can tie into a number of things, but even with grief, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it, this illusion of if I'm faith-filled and I have God, mm-hmm. then I should be an overcomer. Like, I shouldn't be... Um, down all the time or I should be over it faster because of my faith and now there's this kind of added you know stigma and assumption because of the faith world and so really clarifying I love that you clarified mm-hmm. they're not opposites God gave it to us they're a you know they're a feedback system within us to show us where we need healing or where we need to work things out mm-hmm. and uh and seeing it as a positive thing, having a more positive relationship and less like unrealistic expectations about what we should feel and what we shouldn't feel, they're indicators. That's, it's that black and white thinking again. Yes. And so, yeah, I think there's a distinction between letting your emotions run the show and then honoring your emotions and acknowledging your emotions. And I think, you know, we sometimes get black and white and then go into that place of like emotions are bad or, you know, you're listening to your flesh or whatever those sorts of things are. Right. But no, I think emotions are there to guide us. Of course, we don't want them to be in the driver's seat all the time. Gosh, if I acted every time I got (laughs) mad at people, I would be very embarrassed of the things that I would do. Forget it. But yeah, I just, I don't think that's really, um, I don't think emotions are the bad guy here. I think they're there to help us. And if we can honor them, I think ultimately we're healthier. Also, can we just acknowledge that, you know, there's a whole thing called lamenting, right, in in the Bible, and that 
there's so much acknowledgement of difficult emotions, of sad emotions, of having these, you know, tearing what the sackcloth off your, or yeah, give me some sackcloth on yeah. some days. I tear it up. Yes, but this idea, like, in, in the uh, cultures of biblical times, there was a lot of outward expression of grief. That was okay, right? That was normal. And throwing ash, what, throwing yes. like dust and ashes <laughs> on yourself. I don't know, but it got that, it got it got crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Um, well, since we're on the topic of faith, uh, I think that this next question will really yeah. tie in, and it's oh, it's a complicated question, and I know that. Um, there's just so many layers to it, but that's what this is for. We're just going to talk about it openly. And that's the fact that when you go through something so unbearable, such as grief or trauma, you know, and just struggling, I mean, it can harden your heart. A lot of people have experienced having their heart hardened toward God as if like, you know, how could you let this happen? Like if God is yeah. good how could he allow this? Or even like, you know, what for me, like seeing my aunt kind of go through that suffering, like mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to see suffering and pain. And this is really such a big part of a giant theological yeah. <laughs> conversation. But, um, you know, as we we're just talking about it, that, you know, just speaking to someone who is struggling, who is having a crisis of faith, who mm-hmm. is struggling with, you know, seeing God is good or just feeling more and more distant from God because maybe there is anger Mm -hmm. behind this loss and maybe uh, speaking to either how you process through that with your faith or anything you would like to share, touch to that, that we could talk about. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that, of course, there's the very apparent losses of a death of someone, right? But then there's also the loss of a relationship, a breakup, that's one of the most painful hurts that can make people, you know, really be upset with God. You can lose even just an an, an animal, a loved one. You can have a loss of a job or something that you hope for, something that you've been building into. So there's so many different kinds of profound loss that we feel that can make us question God and not trust him. And so, yeah, I mean, I've been there. I mean, not even that long ago, there was something that I was really, really struggling with because I was so disappointed in God for something that I experienced. And it is really, really tough. I will tell you that some of my darkest moments have come from when I felt like God had forsaken me, right? That he had forgotten about me, that he didn't love me, that he loved other people more. I mean, I think I could go on and on about all the thought distortions that were in my head about who God is. And I knew they weren't true, but at the time I felt like they were true. And there's not one easy solution, but I will say that for me, one of the things that helped me the most was being around my friends, people who are also followers of Christ, who didn't try to give me trite advice, but just tried to be there with me. I think that was really, really helpful. I also think one of the most powerful things that people said to me at the time, which I also choose to say to my clients and people suffering is, it's okay for you to feel angry at God. It's okay for you to be upset and struggling and sad and disappointed with him he can handle it right he can walk with you on that journey and and still love you and it won't change how much he loves you just because you don't fully get what he's doing right now right we're not supposed to one of the things that was also really helpful for me that i think i I would recommend to anyone to read if they're going through something 
um, where they're suffering greatly and questioning God as a person of faith is actually this book I have right here called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way by Lisa Turkhurst. Have you read it? No. I have, but I've heard okay. a lot about it, so I'll have to check it out. Her book is an incredible comfort to people who are suffering. So I just want you to know if that's you, this is not going to be a book that minimizes your feelings and tells you just to pray and get over it. It's so good at just meeting you where you're at in your suffering. And I think it's just a process, right? I think you just allow yourself to go through all of the different emotions and to honor that you feel disappointed and sad and hurt. Um, But ultimately, to lean back in when it feels like you're able to do that. And if that just means, you know, you can't pray today, but you can maybe read some scripture, do that. I love, and it's this that whole message of, of grace and, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about, you know, Jesus himself on the cross and ultimate suffering mm-hmm. saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. You know, and here he is, you know, in commune with God, one with God more than any human being mm-hmm. and questioning in a way and you know and not even this question obviously he knows who God is (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know uh he and God are one but just this human right there's just just this human aspect of suffering and saying why like where are you in this you know and and like you said God can handle it Mm -hmm. and he is fully capable to show himself through it and he is fully capable to heal our heart when we give him all the pieces Mm -hmm. kind of thing but there's a part of it that's natural I feel like the more that you shame yourself Mm -hmm. for having a crisis of faith Mm -hmm. the more you create a dissonance right Mm -hmm. going back to like making your feelings the enemy and you know it just creates more of a dissonance but if you can say you know what I am struggling with my faith right now this is really hard right now I do feel in conflict with my my emotions and what I'm feeling about this is feeling a little bit in conflict with my faith right now. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Like like just that giving permission because I totally had that moments where it's like you know what, this is how I feel today mm-hmm. about this. Like this is how I feel about my faith today. I I'm not on the mountaintop with my faith right now, um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's okay because I'm in pain. Either putting on worship or because music is so moving right. or yeah. just. Or if, like you said, you can't, you're just not in a place to physically read the scriptures. Like, maybe just play it on audio and just kind of let the reading wash over you, you know, and accepting that you might have that crisis of faith and Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's part of the process. And that that doesn't mean that you're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. And surrounding yourself, like you said, with people who will continue to speak faith into you is such a is such a game changer because mm-hmm. you can't you can't always hold yourself up but having other people who hold you up and can uh kind of what do we say like can join their faith mm-hmm. with you yeah is huge i have a cool story to tell you yes speaking kind of on please. this topic so i heard this incredible insight about that jesus on the cross moment from my pastor, Pastor Tori Roberts. Mm -hmm. So if you follow him, he's an incredible pastor at One Church in LA. And he was talking about Jesus on the cross. And he said that like 90% of the time, something like that, a vast majority of the time throughout Jesus' life, he would call God Father by the name Father. 
But in that moment on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He uses a different word. He uses the word for God. So it kind of suggests that in that moment when he was feeling forsaken, he wasn't feeling like God was his father. He was feeling a level of a distance from God in that moment. And then right before he, has, he, he dies, he again uses the word father. So it suggests that he went through his own process where just in that terrible moment on the cross, he was in his lowest of lows, that he felt a little bit of distance from God or disappointment from God, but then he came back again. So that's my hope for people that are going through that too, right? Is right. that they can have their moments where they feel like God's just that God, and then moments where God becomes their father again. Right. And going back to, I mean, I, I really feel like the theme of all of this mm-hmm. is just accepting the process Mm -hmm. yeah and that we live in a fallen world and a Mm -hmm. broken world right now and it's state and that Mm -hmm. illness happens and it's a part of it but the upside is that our hope is not in this world right I think that's a big thing like Mm -hmm. as a believer Mm -hmm. is that as a believer our hope is not in this world Mm -hmm. so this is not the end all Mm -hmm. and that really our hope is that God is going to make all things new and we have a hope to return to even Mm -hmm. when everything in our world everything in this world is falling apart kind of that verse in Romans where it's like the suffering that you're enduring now is nothing compared to the glory to come Mm. and you know and while not minimizing Mm -hmm. you know that there's the suffering is real and it's Mm -hmm. hard we have an eternal hope and that is really the whole central message of the gospel that we write our faith on Mm -hmm. is that there is suffering here but god has a solution like he's gonna make it all new yeah well, thank you so much yeah, for spending your time with me and giving light to such a heavy topic. I feel like this is going to relate and resonate to so many people um, because chances are mm-hmm. we've either experienced grief already yeah. or there's going to come a point where we do experience grief because right. death is, you know, the inevitable. So mm-hmm having a space to have a healthy conversation about this is is huge and so I appreciate I appreciate yeah. you my pleasure thank you for letting me do this yeah I hope it helps yeah. people yes absolutely well why don't you let everyone know how they can stay connected with you uh, following this and check out some of the awesome work that you're doing in exploring therapy and all your awesome food takes <laughs> and all this traveling you've been doing. I've been living vicariously through you oh, as man. well. So. <laughs> I, that, well I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I guess. I, maybe you can join me for some yes, of these food let's trips. let's go. Um, yeah, if people want to find, um, our online community is based on Instagram. So it's at exploring.therapy. And there's also a website, www.exploringtherapy.com. So please reach out. And I'd love to hear from your followers, from your listeners and hear what they think of today and get their thoughts too because it's such a personal thing and I'm sure they have their own wisdom and insight to lend to us. Mm, so yes. I'd love to hear from you guys. I hope that you found this this episode helpful and just know that we are praying for you and you know that God has you and continue to seek out those resources for healing. So thanks guys. Until next time. <laughs>